tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Mad Dog Time, the Paperboy, Mordecai, after last season. The World is Wrong is an extremely positive podcast where Andras Jones and Brian Connolly champion films The World is Wrong About. Available on Paperhouse Network wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Hi, this is Josh Gordon from the band Greta, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. Radio 8 Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. 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 Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app if you're an iPhone user. It's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Ian Moore asked, In a society that is so divided, how do we find a path forward together? And received as his randomly chosen answer from the pop oracle, Lovesick Car from Paul Plagans recorded live on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS and Olympia on February 1st, 2006. Well, you might be a little better than the rest I wouldn't know, I'd only second guess And you might give me something I could really use Like an asterisk or two-tone rubber shoes Oh, can we take a freeway to the stars? I think we'll get there in this beat-up lovesick car this episode was really sweet to record. I got to talk about my super talented friend and wonderful dead guy, Paul Plagans, and discuss the upcoming election with his childhood friend and Greta bandmate, Josh Gordon. This one went a little long, 
was recorded at the last possible minute, and it's still coming out late, so I haven't had much time to reflect on it. No great insights. Sorry. I'll have to leave that up to you. I do hope you enjoyed last week's bonus episode featuring Paul Plagans performing live on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS back in 2005. It's a pretty amazing document of Paul's music, of our friendship, and of the kind of passive-aggressive attacks that ultimately led to Radio 8 Ball leaving KAOS without our consent. Okay. The one thing that kept coming back was that the truth tellers will be revealed. What was that? Is that the line? That's the line I accidentally said twice. Yeah. Yes. So that's what I like, Andres. I think that you're, you're my, you're my thing I look forward to all week long. But that Oracle thing, I, I gotta say, I think it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> the truth tellers will surely be found out. Yeah, you're found out. Yeah, you think so? I think your own Oracle reveal you oh well that's there's no doubt about that yeah there's no doubt about that but i that's what i think is that's the power of the oracle but do you think it's like is there a certain element of hokum in it um no no i don't actually i i think that this is uh like isn't actually that's one of the things that i enjoy about it is it's actually pretty free of hokum uh, but you were saying this guy in L.A. told you that, like, watch out for oracles, beware. Yeah. And then, you know, this this drunk guy calls in, and he's like, you know, I think that that guy was right. And then the song that, song number six, turned out to be, like, the guy, the truth tellers, mm-hmm. e.g. oracle, will be found out. And then, boom, it's right back on you, Andres. Yeah. No, I, but I, I And I've never logged on to oh. your hate site or whatever that is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hate AndrasJones.com because I love Andres Jones, but i got to tell you. Oh, there's no doubt that I will be revealed, you know. You're uh, revealed. Yeah, yeah. I, You're making it up. Well, no, that's what I'm not. The, this is randomly happening. So the truth teller is being revealed by the Oracle, and that's the power of the Oracle. And I think that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what I would get out of it is that, you know, yes, the truth tellers, because how can you talk, you know, it's funny. I mean, this is how I, how I think is that pretty much anything you can speak isn't really the whole truth because, you know, life is all about paradox and contradiction. And so, yeah, the truth, anyone who claims to be telling the truth is leaving out the truth that can't be spoken. So they're always going to be hoist, you know, they're always going to be revealed for the, you know, we will always be revealed for the charlatans we are. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and in, in that revelation, we see what kind of charlatans we are. Are we charlatans who are continuing to learn and who are students, or are we charlatans who claim to have the final answer? You Did know? you ever watch that movie Deconstructing Harry at the Woody Allen? Oh, movie? I love it. It's my form it's my favorite Where he's talking about he's talking to his therapist and he realizes that he's he's like he gets to make the story up for the therapist. Mm-hmm. Isn't I mean that's what all your callers are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. They get to choose the details to include, the details not to include. Yeah. I think it's most, actually to me, I think, even though with, that this interaction is really powerful, I think that the, real, the, the really interesting thing is for people who listen and may not even call, but listening to the whole show from the standpoint of seeing what questions of yours come up and get answered in the interplay between the callers and the questions, and 
you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's what your training. That's where your training comes in, Andres. Yeah. Um, you're always you're you're thinking about like what could come up or like the ironies or paradoxes of life, and you got to be ready for it. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what this is. That really, that's what it is. this is. Tra- this is Radio Eight Ball for me is training for reacting to life. And so all let's the... get back to the question okay. and the song. So yes. There, the, there seemed to be something something. in the song that the mother, it was something passed down from uh, parents. Mm -hmm. I think in the song, is the musician in the studio? Yeah, yeah. Isn't there some line about the the mother teaches you something? No, um, don't you worry about the mess that mama made. It's kind of sticky, but it's only lemonade. That's what I was thinking. Because isn't your dad like a psychotherapist or something? Mine? My dad was, yeah. And so, like, is this whole mess, this sticky thing that got passed down to you and you just can't, it's like quicksand you can't get out of, or what's, what's the deal? Um, it's interesting. This, this show is, the, the light is so firmly focusing on me throughout the show. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, I, I, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't think of it that way. I wouldn't, think, I wouldn't look at it as quicksand. I wouldn't look at it as more as the loving embrace of destiny. I think you're looking at specific lines in the song where I think I think the overall uh, message in the song is that, yes, the search should continue. Absolutely. The idea of the song is like you're trying to get to the stars and you're not in something that NASA built. You're in a beat up lovesick car, but you're still trying to get to the stars, which is compete completely futile, maybe. But the point is, you're still doing it. Yeah, absolutely. The search should still go on. That's what I got. And also the the line about the truth tellers will be surely found out. It's not the liars will be found out. It's the truth tellers will. It's a paradox. And actually, I have to credit Oscar Wilde with that line. Not me. I lifted it. And I think his exact wording was, um, uh, "Those who tell the truth will surely be found out," which is, <laughs> which is a paradox. That's and, great. And it's like, and so I have to come into the defense of Andros Jones here. Imagine that, mm-hmm. Andros. And and say that that um, you know it, it, you know he's obviously making he's a clever man Oscar Wilde but even those who tell the truth will be ridiculed for telling the truth because so much of of what we believe in in society and the construction of our civilization is based on lies. I used to think it was funny when I'd receive calls like the one that closed out that episode, but that was when I was under the illusion that the Evergreen State College and KAOS were institutions built on integrity and a basic commitment to the safety and well-being of their students, alumni, and volunteers. I have been all three, as well as the son of a founding faculty member, and as such I grew up on the campus from the day of its founding. All of this gave me the false sense of security, some might say privilege, that KAOS would have my back against boring haters like the one accusing me of being a charlatan for providing Radio 8 Ball as a free service on a community radio station. Or like the creators of the I Hate Andros Jones website the caller referenced. The realization that my faith in these institutions was unfounded, coupled with the failure of my fellow programmers and friends within the chaos community to speak up on my behalf when I became the target of a campaign of harassment led by my former co-host Tammy T. 
and her partner Merwin Haskett, a campaign supported by KAOS staff like Ruth Brownstein and then station manager Jerry Drummond, was a major step in removing me as a resource for the communities I and this show were, and still are, committed to serving. This includes our listeners, of course, as well as the independent songwriters and musicians featured on the show. You may not be aware of it, but beyond booking these guests to be on Radio 8 Ball, I often booked the acts that came through town to appear on the radio show on bills with local musicians like Jenny Jenkins, Scott Taylor, Peter David Connolly, the Blackberry Bushers, and of course, Paul Plagans. Some of these acts included Eleni Mandel, Dan Byrne, Steve Poltz, Tracy Thielen, Veda Hilly, and Spearhead. Now, although I still live in Olympia, it is unsafe for me to work here or even venture out much to public events, as evidenced by the details recounted in the closing episodes of the podcast's second season. I'll provide links in the show notes. And in my song, Absolutely No Sense of Humor. There's a comedian in this town who gets mad if you call him a clown, even though clown's just a synonym for his profession. So let's just call him Sam, the big comedian, with absolutely no sense of humor about the word clown. Well, he chased me down the street outside of Obsidian, shouting and threatening, man, he wasn't kidding. And if it happened to you, you believe that it was true. But since it happened to me, you probably think it didn't. Well, I did this guy the great injustice of inviting him to do my show. It didn't go as well as he hoped, and he blamed me for the whole situation. In an angry after-show text that led me to mutter under my breath, oh, I made the clown cry. That's why he chased me down the street outside of Obsidian that night, shouting and threatening, man, he wasn't kidding. Shouted as he ran me down. Ain't that hilarious? Come on, Sam. That's fucking hilarious, man. Best comedian in this town who flips out if you call him a clown. He's got absolutely no sense of humor about the word clown. So if you see him clowning around, don't make the mistake of calling him a clown. Even He's not around He might chase you down the street Outside of Obsidian That's right Shouting and threatening Man, he won't be kidding He'll be looking for a fight And when it happens to you I believe that it's true Cause it happened to me And while all of this heartbreaking waste of possibility is something that cannot and will not be healed without a process of truth and reconciliation, it was really good to hear my friend Paul have my back in that session 
against an example of the kind of boring hater I would be facing in this town for the next 15 years. Luckily, we have podcasts. So stations like KAOS and big angry comedians named Sam who have absolutely no sense of humor cannot stop me from sharing this format or the great work of songwriters like Paul Plagans. And while I am proving every day that I can do it without your support, your support still means more to me than anything. It's hard to broadcast in exile from within one's own hometown, and I suspect, if you're a regular listener, you may have your own experience of feeling like a stranger in an all-too-familiar land wherever you are. If that's the case, and if knowing that I have encountered so much resistance in sharing this profoundly generous format makes you feel less alone in your own battles with ignorance, prejudice, and ambitious cruelty, well, I'm not going to say that makes it all worth it, but it is certainly one of the ways I comfort myself when the days turn bleak and lonely where I am. I don't know if Paul would appreciate my using this episode, which is supposedly devoted to celebrating him as a forum for airing my dirty laundry, but he certainly wouldn't be surprised or, or, or too bent out of shape about it. In fact, I feel like I can almost hear him laughing somewhere on the other side of the veil. Okay, you know the drill. Here are the ways you can support Radio 8 Ball. First of all, download the Radio 8 Ball app. It's free if you're an iPhone user, and it's a great way to share this format and play this game with your friends and loved ones or by yourself, and it's full of some amazing music. So, go for it. Also, joining our Patreon campaign. It just costs a buck, and that's where I ask my questions and where we really let our hair down. So uh, if you haven't already, please join our Patreon campaign for at least a dollar a month. It's really nothing. And I will provide the Patreon link in the show notes. And finally, although it's probably futile for me to even suggest it, I do want to let you know that writing ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts helps people find our show. So, you know, if you want people to find Radio 8 Ball and enjoy it the way you do, well, that's one of the ways you can help that happen. And if you haven't already, please don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you will get our episodes as soon as they are released. And before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the pop oracle song of the day from the day I had my conversation with Josh Gordon of the band Greta, which was on September 5th, 2020. That song is The Heart is Stupid, But the Heart is True by The Plains, recorded on KAOS in Olympia, Washington on April 3rd, 2007. This song is called The Heart is Stupid, But the Heart is True. Traveling down that lonesome road 
meaningless flames that turn into traps But once those traps are set in stone The heart again will yearn to roam It's made me do. 
And here we are on September 5th, 2020, hanging out with Josh Gordon, discussing our reading featuring his old friend and bandmate and my old friend. Paul Plagans, welcome to Radio 8 Ball, Josh. Thanks, Andras. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. This was a, a bit of a road to get to this episode, and we can get into that. Um, but uh, it's good to have you here. And before we get into talking about uh, my show and Paul's music and the, the readings that we're here to discuss, why don't you tell us what I ask all our guests is uh, how and where are you pandemicking? I'm in um, Los Angeles, California. Uh, how, uh, you know, it's kind of like everybody else. I, I say, I'm, you know, I'm really lucky and that I have shelter and food and, um, and really lucky to have uh, be here with my wife. So I'm not alone. I don't know how people do that. Um, but it's also, you know, I kind of also joke and when people ask me how I'm doing and I say, other than the crippling anxiety, I'm okay. Um, you know, it's hard. I need to be out. Um, I'm supposed to be in school right now. Um, I have to stop working at my job because I have pre-existing conditions. And so, you know, it's a huge upheaval for everyone. I want to, um, as much as I can be an introvert, I also my mental health benefits from seeing my friends and and being social so you know it's it's a kind of a, a tightrope that i think we're all sort of trying to figure out how to cross and none of us have ever have had to walk a, at least this kind of a tightrope before are you involved in any creative endeavors uh yeah in fact well i have my own band the living dolls um, which uh, we, and we can get more into this part of it, but Kyle, uh, Kyle Bear, the guitar player from Greta, is in it, and we've been playing together for a long time. And we just had taken our, uh, you know, holiday hiatus, and we're just rolling back at the beginning of the year into things, and had our first rehearsal in March. And it was really great to be with everybody and jam, and it sounded good. And we're like, let's do this next week. And then and then we were all in quarantine, and that was the end of that. So um, I can say outside of that, I've been working on some songs, but, but no, I, I haven't really been doing too much creatively in during the pandemic. It's funny because I heard a I heard a a scary rumor that you were involved in creating a podcast. Mm. Yes. So let's talk about my memory for a second before <laughs> before we go there. Um, I uh, my memory can really do some funny dances. So yes, you're right. We talked about that, and that has been I would say my big endeavor of the pandemic has been working on a horror podcast with a really good friend of mine, Simon Glickman, who I also started a band with a few years ago. Um, uh, and they're a great band. They're, they're continuing without me because I had to focus on school. Um, 
and they're called the X teens and he's a writer for hits magazine and he's a, a wonderful guy and he's sort of you know become a partner in crime and we both love horror movies and so we we just started a horror podcast and have, are just putting the finishing touches on our second episode that's what i've been doing creatively during the pandemic and what's the podcast called it's called all fangs considered um and it's a look at horror through the lens of monster kids which was a particular generation of kid growing up in the 60s and 70s that was being exposed to horror films primarily through television but there was an entire culture that built up around the availability of horror on television to young impressionable kids models and music and cars and and all kinds of pop culture yumminess and of course when you're talking about the horror of the 60s and 70s the monsters you're of course speaking of you know the assassinations of all the the powerful and pro progressive leaders uh, watergate um the uh the vietnam war <laughs> right this is what you're, these are the monsters you're talking about or well those are the monsters we were maybe trying to forget about oh oh i get it i get it okay <laughs> okay uh, friendlier uh, so, monsters who just want to rip out your throat like frankenstein yeah and that's those are the monsters we were you know that we're really talking about is those 30s and 40s universal movies which were being broadcast endlessly on uh, Channel 5 and, you know, and other stations in L.A. And um, uh, so a lot of it had to do with universal horror. Universe, I don't want to bore everyone with this, but in 1957, Universal sold a library, a package, a syndicated package of horror films to television called Shock Theater. And they included everything from... You know, uh, uh, Frankenstein and the Invisible Man and the Mummy and the Wolfman to, you know, maybe Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and the Brain That Wouldn't Die and, you know, all. So th there was a lot of uh, a lot of horror running all the time on television, being exposed to sort of a, you know, massive amounts of, of kids that were were glued to it i always joke that horror was my first addiction um because i wasn't allowed to see it i was super impressionable but i would always sneak you know i'd shut the door turn the volume down and uh and i couldn't get enough of it and that was the advent of you know that time uh famous monsters of Filmland and lots of books on horrors and there were Aurora model kits and monster masks and records and books. I just, it was, a, it was pretty pervasive, you know, if you were of a certain age and inclination. And a lot of it was really sort of forbidden stuff. You know, you, we weren't allowed to watch these or look at these magazines or do any of this. So it had a kind of awesome taboo quality as well and that's sort of the lens that our all things considers looks at you know not just horror from that time but we're a couple of monster kids looking at horror now and and uh and through history
And uh, just so don't worry, the the listeners to this show probably don't get nearly as much horror talk as they would like, because (laughs) I know that there's at least a few people who tune into this because they know me from Nightmare on Elm Street, but they also know that I never really talk about that because that's just not my my thing or my aesthetic usually. So for their for their benefit. We'll just hang out here just for a little bit more because I'm sure they want to know. Like, they're probably people are going to their podcast app right now and be like, All things considered, where is it? All things considered, all things considers. How do I find this podcast? So, we haven't yet. We're working with a, with a producer now and we're putting our first three episodes together before we launch. Um, we do have an Instagram page which is just all fangs considered a-l-l-f-a-n-g-s considered um and i believe our twitter handle is all fangs podcast and we're working on a website and doing all that stuff but yeah we're just finishing up the second episode about to record the third and then we're going to start um releasing and distributing excellent excellent well, uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. That is, that might be the the one horror genre that I uh, that I feel comfortable in. I like to I like to know that the monsters are being played by people who are no longer who are dead. You know, like you know, I don't think Bella Lugosi is going to come and get me. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we need to have you as a guest on All Things Considered at one point and get a little reciprocity i'm all about reciprocity it's a it's there's not there's not nearly enough of it in the world and uh, and i'd be i'd be happy to reciprocate your reciprocity uh i guess i'm pre-reciprocating your reciprocity here uh but but let's not get bogged down in word games let's move (laughs) on to this to this format and and what you're here to discuss which is the reading from last week uh, actually uh, the reading from two weeks ago featuring Ian Moore where he asked uh, in a society that is so divided how do we find a path forward together and then he shook the app and got Paul Plagan's song Love Sick Car and then that set me into a sort of a two-week quest and just sort of mental, you know, I guess I don't know, I guess well, it would be like a, an odd sort of shiva with with my with our yeah. friend Paul, trying to find just the right person to come and talk about it, because Paul couldn't. And then last week I ran an episode of Radio 8 Ball from back when we were broadcasting on the radio on KAOS in Olympia when Paul appeared live on the show and I gather you've listened to both of those and so we're here to talk about Paul and that reading and uh, you know just I, I, I want us to be pretty open I'd, I, I'd, I'd love to get your take on the reading but I feel like there's that's a very uh, I don't know I don't want to say it's a small but it's a very specific node to a much larger ocean of thoughts and feelings and so i want to be open to all of that so with that as a preamble i guess let's start with the reading uh, josh what did you think about 
Paul's song, Love Sick Car, as the answer to Ian's question about, uh, about finding a way forward together. Well, you might be uh, I kind of um, interpreted interpreted it much in the way that Ian did. I sort of like, look, we're in this beat up jalopy um, being and the, the jalopy being the, the love sicar being the metaphor for the kind of difficult. And that is an understatement scenario that we're in sociopolitically. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll kind of uh, we're all in this together and we will all, uh, you know, make it to the stars. We'll all we'll all get there somehow. Um, and this is the, the, the car that's going to do it um, against all odds. But it's the only it's our only mode of transportation. So that was sort of my my take on it. Um, and I did find it very sort of sweetly optimistic and. Um, and, and, and it was nice listening to it and thinking of Paul, and, but that was, that was my interpretation was, was that we're, you know, we're all on this ship together. We're, we're going to figure out how to get to point B and it'll be good. And I, I hope, I hope that's right. I hope that's right because I'm really scared and I was interested in, 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 uh, Ian's question as well. And you and Paul were in a band called Greta and you grew up together. So I'm curious if there are, so you had spent, I'm sure you spent times in beat up lovesick cars of one kind or another. Yeah, definitely. I mean, literally and figuratively. So whether it's any of the cars that we were bumping around in when we were growing up, um, a good story that I, that immediately comes to mind is we were in a band called the sad panthers when we were about 18 um <laughs> like was that a reference is that like a like a mopey white boy reference to the to the black panthers no it really wasn't oh my god but, that's um, wonderful um and you know it was i think it for all of us everyone who was in it it was one of our favorite bands and a guy named uh, john bird was in it john is currently playing in the living dolls he played on uh, greta's second album uh, keyboards on nothing at all and was also really close with paul we've done a bunch of stuff together but we were in the sad panthers we're 18 we're driving to a gig in john's beat up you know 1972 vw bus and um, we're coming off the uh, Hollywood Freeway on the Coenga Pass, and we're getting the pass that, that takes you onto Highland right in front of the Hollywood Bowl. And there was traffic completely backed up to a standstill. Um, and I remember John just slamming on the brakes because the, tra- the, the, the stop in traffic came out of nowhere. And we all thought we were gonna die um that there couldn't have been room for us to safely stop between where we were in the car in front of us and we happened to stop inches from the car in front of us um we had all our gear loaded up in the back and that had fallen all over the place and we were pretty out of breath and and grateful and our adrenaline was 
you know, up at a million miles an hour. And, um, and so that, that's one of the, 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 uh, the lovesick cars that we were in. But again, there were many figuratively and literally. I remember Paul's Grand Torino. What a beast that was. And my Toyota Celica and, um, you know, and then there's the, the figurative cars of sort of how we traveled, you know, side by side and moved through our lives together and apart. Yeah. Um, and just, I'm curious, I've been in my share of bands and I was in a band with someone I grew up with and that band ended. And when I think about the Ian's question about in a society that is so divided, how do we find a path forward together? I know that navigating that the road from being close friends and being in something together and then having that thing end and then finding your way back to friendship can be a bit of a, a journey. And I don't want to probe anything that's uncomfortable for you, but I'm curious, was there any of, was there any of the reflection of that? I don't know. I, I'm completely in the dark as to how Greta ended, if it was just a record biz, a record company decision, or if it was a, you know, if it, it was a, a band breakup. But uh, would you, do you have anything to say to that? Yeah, I mean, it's it was not an acrimonious breakup. We were just exhausted and we didn't have any motivation is really what it boiled down to. Um, you know, we've just been through the ringer and it was a really disappointing, difficult experience um, for so many different reasons. I think we were all a little sick of each other too. And there wasn't that we didn't have any kind of success to kind of hold us together or to create new bonds, you know? So, um, you know, so there, there wasn't just any, we didn't really feel any reason for us to, to keep going. We, um, I think we were all a little heartbroken. I was, I know I was, I was devastated and we all must have been. So I think we all sort of went away to lick our wounds. And I remember one time I'd gotten a, I had gotten a, a job as an internet producer and not long after uh there was someone who was interested in Greta that our lawyer introduced us to who said he really liked the band and wanted to meet with us and so Paul and I got together with him and had a conversation and there was a kind of well if he wants to do something with us you know maybe we'll revisit and we're, we're a little bit you know, interested in seeing where he was going. But he said, eh, I really like you guys, but I want to see what you guys do over the next year or so. I'm going to like follow you guys. And and neither Paul nor I had any interest in that and sort of a, just keep the band running to see if maybe something could happen in the future. Um, so we, we didn't really pursue that. And I think we just needed a break at that time. Got it. Got it. But there, there wasn't acrimony. It wasn't like none of us were talking to each other. I think we all just were just tired. Yeah, it's funny. Um, 
One of my memories of Paul, and this maybe gets into talking about the episode uh, of his uh, that featured his performance on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS. One of the areas where we connected is that we are both, I don't know, I guess shit stirrers to a certain respect. Not in the sense of wanting to fuck with people so much as not being able to walk by when someone's just saying bullshit and not being able to call bullshit, I guess. And, but the difference is that, and this is one of those things that I always marveled with, with Paul. And it was sort of like a Bob and Bing kind of thing where Bob Hope and Bing Crosby could do or say the same thing or Bob or Bing Crosby could say something even worse, but Bob Hope would always be the one who gets in trouble. (laughs) And I definitely, when you say that there wasn't, there was no acrimony in the breakup of the band, I completely believe that with Paul because for someone who was so great at stirring things up, he was also really, and it's one of the things I, I don't know if I learned from him, I, I wish I'd learned from him. He had the ability to do that while also sort of flattering and de-escalating. And it's, he didn't, it's someone who didn't really have the he didn't have the fight in him for a fight, but he definitely was always down for an argument, I guess. Well, you may have known a, a different side of Paul than, than than I did. I, I, you know, we go back to, to 12 when we were 12 years old. Wow. And there's a whole group of us. And Paul was, I think Paul was always as up for a fight as anybody I've known. Um, and it was one of the things that could make it hard to be around him. Um, um, sometimes you were just, God, do we have to get into a kind of confrontation? Do sides have to be picked? Can I just feel the way that I feel and you can feel the way that you feel? Um, and a lot of times the answer to that was no. <laughs> um, so, uh, but in you know contrary to that uh you know contrasting to that paul could also be very gentle and you know has done some things for me and i would say not they're not big overt things but they were they were small gestures to me that were very big and very you know things that I didn't get from a number of my other friends. Um, Just an awareness of my place um, and my place with him. And to me, that showed a lot of respect and caring. So there was a a lot of uh, differences. We could have, the the ending on some level could have been acrimonious. Um, And I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been, but we tend we tended to rally well when things were against us mm-hmm. so you know if there was an an opposer we would rally together and so by the time the end came you know we had had to rally together for a long time um and it really was just a fatigue and a and I think a depression, I often think of depression as lack of motivation. And we were really sorely lacking motivation to keep moving. Um, 
when when because we got dropped that's ultimately what happened we were excited to go out on a tour for the second album and we went out for the first night to santa barbara to play the first show of the tour and i just got a call from the record company everyone had driven up to santa barbara i was just about to leave and i got a call from the record company saying we just fired your a and r guy and we're pulling uh you off of the tour and that was the that was it it was basically we're going to drop you and there is no tour and your ally at the label is gone um you know so so it was just sort of a lifeless thud at the end and you know this is something that we've been working together since literally since we were 12 so there was a lot of a lot of different emotion i think paul was pretty good at just sort of moving forward i was pretty i'm not gonna i'm gonna say all of us were devastated and we kind of handled it in our own way but but i was so heartbroken i just needed to get away from music for a little while i didn't play for a couple of years i didn't even listen to the radio it was just too raw um yeah. But you know Paul Paul didn't have any compunction about being confrontational or argumentative or or you know provoking um I think and even sometimes maybe knowing what your weakness might be and saying what happens if I start you know sticking this prod in there It's a um, very I mean that's I don't, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but there is something that, like, that is the lead, the the front, the front man's or front person's job, or could be a part of the front person's job, or a part, a tool, uh, a tool in the toolkit of the 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 rock and roll front person is that sense of like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm it's kind of my job to get up on stage and pick a fight and, and, and to, do that, you know, to experiment on myself, push my own buttons, get myself into a state where I'm, I don't know what's going to happen so that then the audience doesn't know what's going to happen. And then, then we're into a place that's great, especially again, if the, if the band is cohesive enough to hold it down while that, that and that's what many of the best front men do. And I was just listening to the story of the, Stay Free, the story of the Clash, um, this great Clash podcast, where the interviewer asked Joe Strummer, you know, were you trying to start a riot? And Joe Strummer says, I try to start a, start a riot every night. You know, and that sort of, I think, speaks to what you were talking about. Yeah. So before we move on to the next part of this, did you have any thoughts about hearing Paul's performance back from 2005 on the radio or any of the conversations? Were there any synchronicities in that for you? Well, it's just, uh, it's sad. It's really sad and I miss him. And, um, you know, the first thing I heard when I was listening to the song that he plays when he's on the show with you,
with us I never thought That you would last Um, I'm, my mind just drew a blank to which song it was but uh, Was I'm, it the first one where he taught uh, Fun with Broken Glass? Yes, yes That song is so good It's, <laughs> so, it's so good it hurts, right? It's just, he's, oh yeah and i just thought like he's so fucking talented um you know and i and it made me think i wish you know i wish we could have played together again um even jamming even in some way i think god it would be so much fun to um just be able to record a couple greta songs or to do a couple of covers and so i, I was listening to that thinking about how amazingly good he is and that you know i'm not thinking in terms of you know he didn't get exposed in that way so i'm not thinking in terms of the world but just his universe of friends and and how nice and how much i miss not being able to just sit and play with him or uh you know i just really missed him i just really missed him listening to that yeah yeah, me too. It's one of those odd things where I'm so grateful to have that recording because when I, but I, I rarely go back to it because it's very, it's difficult. But when I am in a situation where I feel like I have to go back and listen to it, I'm so happy to be able to go back to, to have an hour of just him just being casual and laughing and messing with me and, uh, and then playing these amazing songs, which... I guess that's one of the things that I feel like I have um, a certain, I feel like I have a certain responsibility to Paul, like I, beyond just as a friend, but like from songwriter to songwriter, um, the work he was doing when he was here in Olympia was such strong songwriting work. And he was, he was playing two or three nights a week at different restaurants around town, just playing cover, mostly covers and then, you know, sprinkling in his own songs. And he just got to be really, really excellent as a solo singer songwriter performer. Uh, yeah. After Greta that came out too. And it was, um, probably around two, around 2000. Um, he had just written this batch of songs. Wonderful Dead Guy yeah. was in them. Um, I Was a Whore was in them. Mm -hmm. um, he had written this batch of songs that were just... He'd, he'd moved to another plateau. And we were all like, these are, are fucking great songs. And I remember going and seeing him play live. And... and uh, and so he really kept going and just doing this amazing work. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and again, I'm I feel blessed that he recorded a bunch of the songs on my show, and I am gonna do everything I can, as long as I'm breathing, and promote and putting stuff out to keep trying to shine a light there and make that music available. I think one of the things that 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 I was think just thinking of is that, you know. Um, you know, we all felt that Greta didn't really get to do what we could have done. And we felt that our movement from the first record to the second record 
was profound and kind of along the lines of how we thought um, anyways, which was not doing repeating ourselves, not finding a formula. Um, uh, and as Paul was improving and growing as a songwriter, I really always lament not being able to 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 know what Greta might have done had we been given the chance to make a third album or a fourth and to see what that progression might have been like. Um, uh, and so that's something I always miss too. And, you, you know, when I was hearing your songs, it, it would have been like, God, a, a third Greta album would have been pretty fucking cool um, because it would have been, I think, really different. It would have been guided a lot by Paul's songwriting and it would have been a lot different from the second album, which was a lot different from the first album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's always a, uh, yeah. The, uh, the big what ifs in life. The big what ifs for, for bands. Yeah. So I'm just, I I were referencing this and people are probably getting it, but Greta was a, you know, was a, one of those bands that was signed and seemed and had that adventure of feeling like, Hey, we made it. This is success. And then you find out, that there's a lot more on the other side of that success. So uh, I always think that that's an I think that's an important and interesting story to to be told because especially young musicians look at it like okay when we get signed we're gonna have it made and that it's just a lot more complicated than that. I know people who are who still think because I was in a movie in the '80s that I must be rich because of it. <laughs> like, no it's not it's not the way it works people it's it's uh i mean we're seeing it right now i hate to be depressing but we just you know what happened with the screen actors guild are you familiar with this what's what's going on a little bit with the with uh the union and yeah. the renegotiations and the healthcare yeah and the... basically just to explain so the screen actors guild uh, provides health insurance to actors who make a certain amount of money and i have only qualified for that like once or twice in my life but uh a lot of the people that you recognize from tv shows from the 70s and 80s and 90s people mo who have been in were in a bunch of movies or were regulars on a show they make enough off their residuals to qualify for health insurance into their old age. And just this last month, the Screen Actors Guild changed their policy, made it so they raised the amount that you need to make in a year to qualify to something like $25,000 a year, or maybe it's $25,000 a quarter. I'm not quite sure. It's a, it's a lot. I was just talking to a friend who remembers when it used to be $7,000 was the limit. So understand the limit has gone up and up and up, and then they just disqualified residuals. So all of these people, some of the most beloved actors that you can think of, just who are have no chance of getting making $25,000 a year or a quarter right now because they were on a TV show in the 1970s that was maybe beloved, but that's not going to put them in a new Marvel movie this year if there is even a Marvel movie being made this year. So if I understand what they what qualified them for health insurance was the residuals that they made. Right. And so that was just, that just went away. And so, and it's just, I'm just thinking about, 
I want to get the I, I I'm basically hijacking this for a second to get the word out about that because please I think it's important for people to know that the Screen Actors Guild just kicked to the curb some of the most beloved like if you think of an actor that you loved in a mo- in a TV show in the 90s in the 80s 70s 80s or 90s and think about how old they must be and think about when was the last time you saw them on a TV show or a movie that person just lost their health care and yeah it's it's that's the screen actors guild i'm 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 a member but i've been very heavily considering like i said i've never qualified but i pay my dues because i believe in unions and i think that you know it, the union can be a force for good but this action was so um, well, so so in keeping what's worst about our country right now today, yeah. Um, that it just uh, well, it breaks my heart. Which leads us to the next question, which is about today's song of the day, which re- references hearts. Uh, so that was a clunky transition, but we'll go with it. <laughs> The song is The Heart is Stupid, But the Heart is True from The Plains, who were a band who, uh, or an artist who came through. The, there were several back in those days of doing chaos, Radio 8 Ball and Chaos. Sometimes people would come through and be guests on the show who I didn't know, who just reached out to me uh, that, that week, and I didn't have a guest, and I was like, come on. And then they'd leave without leaving any forwarding info. And that's the case with the planes. I don't know where they are, who they are. That's interesting because I really like the song. And I thought, you know, who are these guys? Are they other friends of his that live in Olympia? Or, you know, I also I just want to got to say how how blown away I am by the show and having to put together three episodes of a podcast. The amount of work that I know goes into doing what you do um and doing it consistently and so i just think it's really great it's a really wonderful thing and um thank you my heart is stupid and it is true i am a hundred percent committed to this thing and i don't i'm so far in i don't really know why except in moments like that when it's when it it hits home with someone else so i appreciate that thank you yeah it's really good it's 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 really good so what did you think did you have any synchronicities with that song for today uh the heart is stupid but the heart is true yeah i did i thought what it made me think of is boy when i was younger my heart sure was dumb (laughs) um and you know the heart has definitely moved me into some poor decision making um but i was able to reflect back and say as i've gotten older um the truth of my heart um, has also is that it's also become wiser um, and and how appreciative of that I am. I'm married now. I've been with the same woman for the last eight years, and um, she's the love of my life. and it's it it's come through being able to have a relationship that's successful and long term has come through a lot of work of understanding where my heart drives me off a cliff um and saying you know i don't want to i don't want to keep ending up in the ditch so for me that meant 
doing a lot of work on myself. And it's nice to see it pay off and be able to reflect on that while I was listening to the song. Do you mind? We don't have to go in too deep to it, but do you mind sharing a little bit of your path from whatever it, whatever it was that worked for you to bring some peace or wisdom to that yeah. uh, stupid heart of yours? Absolutely. Well, I'm pretty open about mental health issues that that I've struggled with. I'm um, I'm working now on a master's in social work, um, so helping people who don't feel like they quite fit in or have certain obstacles um, emotionally, economically, socially is, is a big thing for me. So I'm really open about stuff that I've gone through. My mom, I don't want to get into to the sort of Dostoevsky version of it, but my mom had some pretty severe mental health issues. God bless her. Um, she was undiagnosed bipolar. She didn't get diagnosed, I think, until her early 70s. And she was an alcoholic. And it was a very chaotic uh, environment for me and my sister growing up. Um, and I found it's not very tricky or surprising. I found myself... You know, you know that feeling when you look at somebody that you're attracted to and you, you feel like you're hit by a lightning bolt and you're like, that's it. That's the one I'm in love. That's where I'm going. What I ended up seeing, I think, by my early 20s was a pattern of that feeling of being hit by a lightning bolt always led me to somebody very unhealthy. Um, and usually ended up in a great deal of pain for me. So I started to understand and put two and two together that that feeling of instant, powerful, chemical attraction and reaction is probably not the direction I want to be going. And that that's connected to something broken in me. Um, and so I actively decided I want to start being attracted and learning how to be attracted to more, to healthier people. And so it was, you know, it's not something that happens fast. It was a mantra. It was something and that it was something that I thought about. I was conscious of and I became aware of the telltale chemical reactions of of something that harkened back to that unhealthy lightning strike. So I began to get to a place where I could go, if certain feelings came up, um, I could go, you know what? I know, I know that's not gonna be a healthy place for me. And so I'm just gonna avoid it altogether. And I think when you're young, there's a lot of, oh, this time it'll be different, you know? And then you have to make that mistake seven times. and maybe by the time you get to your 30s, you start thinking it's never been different. You know, I think it's going to be different every time, um, but it really isn't. It always ends kind of with a car in a ditch. So it was, you know, a lot of work in therapy, um, a lot of work on, you know, on my own um, in between therapy sessions and being becoming really conscious of what I wanted and what I didn't want and staying away 
from those from what I know I didn't want. That didn't mean I didn't have a stumble here and there. You know, you go, oh, maybe it's changed. And you go, no, it hasn't changed. If I feel this certain chemical reaction, I can tell that this is, there's something really dysfunctional taking place here. You know, and I was part of that too. You know, it wasn't just, I was with these unhealthy, sick women. I was in um, relationships that also brought out the most dysfunction in me versus being in relationships where both people are being nurtured to their best selves. Hmm. There, there's a little bit on that. If, yeah. Happy to answer anything else you might Yeah, have. no, that's, that's great. I think that's something that... Uh... That is, that's heart wisdom, right? Well, uh, I think we're at the point where we're ready to approach the Pop Oracle and get your question, Josh. Now, uh, I'm very excited. Do you have the app at the ready? I do. Cool. Okay, well, uh, why don't you let us know what your question is for the Pop Oracle? I've been thinking about my question and I've been thinking about what. how do I ask the question? What's the best kind of question to ask? I really have, <laughs> there's one question, maybe you can guide me on this. And um, the question is, is Biden gonna win? That That's the only question I care about right now. I don't know if I should perhaps make it like will we be okay regardless of the outcome of the election um or what will happen to us regardless of the outcome of the election but i just want to know i I want a psychic to tell me whether or not trump or biden is going to win i think i'm going to go with the second one because that's really the the most important question will we be okay regardless of the outcome of the election now I'll just uh, give it a shake. Oh, this is cool. Soft Parts by Leah Abramson. All right. Soft parts underneath 
Leah Abramson with the song Soft Parts, recorded on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS on March 21st, 2006, when she was traveling with Bob Wiseman, and they were co-guests on the show. And that was the answer to Josh's question, will we be okay regardless of the outcome of the election? So, Josh... What do you think about that as the answer to your question? Well, I thought that was <laughs> that hit me pretty hard. Um, you know, uh, and I think it's uh, it's optimistic, I'm ha- happy to say. But the lyrics, if you keep thinking that something's going to happen, then there's a greater chance it might happen. Um, which sort of speaks to me of, you know, what we think and the energy we create is the energy we bring into the world. So um, each of us are kind of individually responsible for what happens after the election, whether or not we're going to be okay. And then I was I was really moved and freaked out by random acts of violence. I don't believe can touch the soft parts underneath. Um, So uh that that says to me that look this may not be easy and it may be violent but the the soft parts underneath which i kind of take as the best most vulnerable parts of us will be okay and will and will survive whatever it is they have to go through yeah yeah. I could keep going. There was another line, fear that you'll make an irreparable tear and the soft parts that live and breathe inside eggshells in the nest of someone's uh, other mess. Um, I think that was the line or it was close to that. And, and I do think that there's a fear that there's been irreparable damage. Um, that's my fear in somebody else's mess. 
Um, but again, I think there's optimism and hope in the song. It's not going to be easy. It's an incumbent on us to create and contribute to the outcomes we want to see and that we're resilient and will move on regardless of the the conditions we might currently be in. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, so my interpretation, uh, I think my, well, I have a, I have a slightly different interpretation. Um, I can't wait to hear it. First of all, I want to say about this song, this song has come up as an answer on several different shows at different times. Not on this season of Radio 8 Ball, but I, there are other times when we've used the Radio 8 Ball app or some version of the Radio 8 Ball app as uh, our divination tool. And I just don't think the song has ever been anything but an amazing answer for people's questions. And I think that's because people's questions come from the soft part of ourself underneath. Mm. So whatever you're asking, there's something about this song that speaks to that. But my my reading was a, a bit darker. Um, I've I think that someone says when you think that something's going to happen, there's a greater chance that it might happen. It uh, resonates with that the cliche, you know, what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. And I have seen so much Trumpian behavior in resistance to Trump from people who claim to oppose Trump uh, that. Whether that's just person to person or from the Democratic Party, and that it's it's an example of that the things we think, the things that we focus on, like the things that we project onto, become us, hmm. and that makes it very important what we think and how we speak and how we talk to each other and how we relate. And mm -hmm. I've been very, 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 very disappointed to see so many of my friends who claim to oppose Trump engaging in Trumpism, which is to say lying about people, bl blaming people, blaming individuals, uh, scapegoating individuals for things that they are they are frightened of. So, like Republicans are frightened of mobs of looters coming into their gated communities. Democrats are afraid of progressives not getting behind a candidate who actively opposes everything that they stand for whether that's voting or just emotionally in conversation. Like I say, I'll vote for Biden, but I'm going to point out everything that's wrong about him because I don't, I didn't agree to give up my intelligence um, in the bargain. Like just to, I, I, the, just this morning I was listening to Michael Moore's podcast and he was talking about how uh, Rick Snyder, the, the Michigan polit, the, uh, yeah, the Michigan politician who was responsible for the poisoning of the people of Flint just gave an endorsement to Joe Biden and Joe Biden accepted it and championed and said, this is great. We're so glad we have him on our team. Right. At, yeah. I, and when talking about a, st a swing state, a state that like even if he was just trying to win, he would think I need the voters in Michigan who have been poisoned by this guy to 
vote for me. Um, and instead saying, oh, no, you have to vote for me because I'm not Trump. So, yeah, I'll take you and I'll take the guy who's killing you. Um, so I guess my point is that that's just to that first thing of like, when you think that something's going to happen, there's a greater chance that it might happen speaks to how important the state of our minds are. And that is something that is true every day until election day, as well as election day. And I think, and like I said, I've, I see the disease of Trumpism infecting people who claim to be opposed to it. So that makes me very nervous. And then mm -hmm. the line about random acts of violence, I, that meant a different thing to me in this reading because in other more personal readings, I think it is talking about random acts of violence. But what we're coming up against is institutional and systemic violence. And is that random, right? Um, so like consistent, like if random acts of violence can't, like if, you know, a bird shits on your head, it's impersonal. It's a random act of violence of, you know, some weirdo targets you and hits you in the back, you know, hits you with a bottle. That's a random act of violence. It sucks, but it doesn't really hurt your inside. Whereas an institutional act of violence that hit, hurts you and everyone you know and doesn't care about who you are but just is just keeps grinding maybe that can hurt the soft parts underneath and i think that that's uh again, well i think that's true i totally agree with you if if i may interrupt i agree with you that 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 those foundational acts of violence i i think have the power to touch the soft parts underneath and and my interpretation was you know in these random acts of violence so to me i wouldn't call you know what happened to freonna taylor or george floyd a random act of violence i would put that into the institutionalized violence that i think you're talking about um or let me just say yeah. or someone who doesn't have health care like did like yes like the yes, screen absolutely. was that a random act of violence or no. was that an institutional act of violence delivered across the board to with intent and and strategy and to save money basically to 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 choose profits over people which again just going back to your question that is what the i'm in a i'm in a tough mind because i want people to vote against donald trump but the fact is that joe biden's record and everything he's said about the policies that he's going to support are in support of choosing profits over human life. Now, again, he's no one is going to say that he's I mean, some people will say I won't say that he's the same as Trump or that Trump isn't worse. But that also seems like this sort of institutional violence that says you have to choose between someone who is murderously terrible and one who is terribly murderous, as opposed to addressing things like a ra like like rational people would. Um, so what I think, I, I think I hear this, and this is a discussion I have with a lot of people. So I, you know, just to start out to say Biden was last on my list. Um, 
but but our politics is the way that it is. And I think you have to take a pragmatic approach because there we have a choice between two people. So for all the things I don't like about Biden, um, I feel that it, at this stage of the game, these are all moot points. So do I want the system to be different than it is? Yes, I do. Do I want these institutionalized acts of violence, you know, attacked and removed? Absolutely. Um, and then I think, well, we have to figure out how to begin to, to make that happen. But there's a pragmatic, we have to be pragmatic about the, the existential threat and, and scenario that we're in right now. And so I believe you do what's in front of you, then you move on and try and, and fix what you don't like. Because what we don't like, we can't fix right now. Well, I, 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 I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I disagree with it because it's because the not I'm not saying that you're disingenuous, but it's a disingenuous argument because there is never a time when like just like there's never a time when it's OK to address like we can address police brutality in the specifics, but it's there's never a time when it's OK to take money to hold police accountable for their crimes. And we just are in this endless cycle. And it's sort of like, well, if Biden was your last, everyone I know who's telling me to vote for Biden says that Biden was his last choice. But I remember during the primaries, everyone getting angry at Bernie Sanders and his campaign for, for anything that they did, because whatever they or people who supported them, supported him did to try and make things better, they got attacked by the people who support Joe Biden and the Democratic Party the same way that Trump attacks Democrats or or protesters or whatever. So that's what I'm talking about is like the Trumpism infected the Democratic yeah, I, I totally, Party yeah. from. So and like I and 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 this is one of the things that's hard is like even just now, like you don't need to make the the, the pragmatic argument that I need to vote for Joe Biden. I think the other part is how, like, if Joe Biden is actively working to not get elected by offending voters every day in ways that no professional politician, which he is, would do if they were trying to win. And my fear is that when after after his massive failures, if he doesn't win, that the Democratic Party isn't going to, and people who support Joe Biden aren't going to blame Joe Biden or the Democratic Party. They're going to blame people in Flint who didn't, who couldn't bring themselves to vote for someone who has his arm around someone who poisoned their children. Um, that seems like a visceral thing. So I guess this is where the, so will we be okay regardless of the outcome of the election? Um, I guess there's a there's a couple questions there for me. Like, who are the we? Because certainly, if it's we as all of us, then no. I mean, first of all, no election no election is going to make it so that we are going to be okay. There will always be people who are in who disenfranchised are yeah, and so, marginalized, like at least in our system. So, 
then if we're talking about you and me, when like we could look at it as like, are you and I going to be okay? And sadly, well, we probably will. But I also know and am close with people in populations that won't be okay if Donald Trump wins, but will be okay or stand to do much better if Joe Biden wins. Really? Who are those people? I'm curious. Which which communities are those? Immigrants. Um, um, Joe Biden's undoc- record on, on undocumented on, workers. It's not going to be the same now. Joe Biden's it's not going to be the same. Well, uh, LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people who Donald Trump is actively yeah. trying to to dismantle. And I don't believe whatever Joe Biden was in the past, he's being moved left. He's being moved um, to a more progressive position. And I don't think we're going to see DACA dismantled under Joe Biden. And and at the worst, you uh you're, you're, the chance is much less likely of having Biden dismantle DACA than it is Trump. And so for those communities who do have, I, I mean, I'm affected by, uh, you know, I have a health care is a very big, important issue to me. Donald Trump is actively trying to dismantle the Affordable Care Act. So to me, these are our immediate populations and and policies that Trump is has already stated unequivocally where he stands on not LGBTQ rights, not immigrant rights, and not health care for everybody. And I absolutely believe that Biden is a better choice between Biden and well, yeah, yeah, Trump yeah, I, 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 for these communities. Well. That's uh, I w- I'm I'm right up with you until the end of that sentence. Um, I n- there's no argument with that Trump is worse than Biden, but the idea that Biden is good for the communities you're talking to, I that's a different conversation. Like he is definitely Trump is absolutely terrible, aesthetically awful. He's like the things he says, his rhetoric is divisive and brutal and he wants to be a dictator and a fascist and he's terrible no like this is this is why i don't know if we will be okay regardless of the outcome of the election because if we have to limit our conversation to the binary to the to the violent binary that we are offered between someone who is murderously terrible and someone who is terribly murderous but but that but that binary only exists only up exists, until the election. No 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 no. It only exists on the election on election day. Today, I hope this is what I hope is that people who are both agreeing to vote for Joe Biden can agree and that Biden has a terrible record on immigration. He has come out and said he opposes Medicare for all, the the Affordable Care Act that he is maybe going to try again, maybe going to try and save, maybe not, was not a policy that he supported before he was part of the the the, the Obama administration. And even that policy is a Republican is a, is Romney care, yes. which is basic is a handout to the insurance company. So my point is that I can definitely 
I think a lot of people can agree to vote for Joe Biden. We can't agree that Joe Biden is being moved. Like if Joe Biden were being moved to be more progressive, then the Democratic convention would have included more progressives than Republicans. But it doesn't. He, Joe I Biden is being, is, also, Joe Biden, well, let me just finish. Joe yeah. Biden is moving the Democratic Party to the right and dragging the people of Flint, the, the poisoned people of Flint, along with them because they have no place else to go. And to me, that is a kind of violence. And to a lot of people, that's a kind of violence. And we are pr- committed to voting for this violent person despite his violence. But to, to act as if he his, that there's some goodness there is to me, the greatest insult to the communities that he has built his career attacking by putting them in prison, by deporting them, by denying them health care, by denying them access to bankruptcy, by pushing wars that... Yeah, and that I, put- I don't disagree with any of that. I'm on board with everything you're saying. My, so I'm just, I'm just on a very tunnel vision mission to get Trump out. So... I voted for I would have liked to have voted for Elizabeth Warren in the primaries when I saw that she couldn't win. It pragmatically became vote for Bernie Sanders after the primary, when it became obvious that it was Joe Biden, then it became vote for Joe Biden. I'm of the the group that says nothing's more important right now at this moment than getting Trump out. and then. Then we address, and what I'm hoping is, is that we're in a, you know, in a a higher consciousness of what it is that needs to be changed and that we're incrementally becoming more progressive. And, you know, I call myself a, you know, socialist commie pinko bastard. That's where I want to go. And... But I realize that's not where we are, and we've never been close to getting there. Oh, wait, but um, we are actually. Hold on, we just had. We've had two years, two dec, uh, two elections, two election where, cycles where where, yes. uh, where a progressive socialist candidate had the most energy, had the most had the most donations, was really should have been the nominee if they applied the rules that they apply to non-socialists. And we also have massive protests in the street. We are like we the country is is ready for a pro- the progressive revolution that we're taught that we, well, we dream I, of. Not I, I like, do think again, I don't know institutionally and, and I, or not. Like NBC, asking, MSNBC is not and CNN are not, but people are. And I don't know if and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the people in the middle of the country, I think people in L.A. or New York. No, no. People in the middle of the country support. Again, I'm just going to keep giving facts because this is important. People in the middle of the country overwhelmingly supported the Bernie Sanders campaign in Michigan and Wisconsin and Iowa in like in uh, Minnesota. These are places these are these are swing states that are important for the for whoever's opposing Trump to win. These are the same states that Joe Biden and the Democrats are active, have been actively insulting. So let me ask you, because I don't know, why didn't Bernie win? Because um, this primary. Well, uh, there were, first of all, he, no candidate 
has ever won the first three the way he did and then didn't win the nomination. Um, there were a lot of things going on. First of all, the Democrats were employing the same sort of dirty tricks that we can expect to see from the Trump administration in terms of closing polling places, making it more difficult for working class people to vote, uh, downplaying, like basically responding with hostility towards the towards Bernie's wins as if they were some sort of massive threat to the population. And then you have a pandemic where you have Democrats telling voters to go out and again, vote in, a, in elections in person, not giving them the opportunity to not vote. So you have these very messy elections during a, during a pandemic and as you're shutting everything down and you have the whole party coalescing behind what you said is basically was everybody's last choice which is Joe Biden. So, and then you have a huge mass of the country that didn't really even get to participate in in uh, in primaries. So, there are those who will disagree and say, "Oh, well, you're just being a sore loser." And I'm, and those people are would be engaging what I consider Trumpism because when Trump tries to play that tactic in November, I think we're all going to be rightfully offended. But. It's what Cornell West, this is basically the Cornell West line that I think is motivating a lot of people who are who feel the way I do, which is I will vote for Joe Biden, but I won't lie for him. And I'm with you. I absolutely want I we need to get Trump out of there. And when I watch the Democrats doing what no one who would want, like if you were trying to promote a record the way that they're promoting their brand by basically saying you have to buy our record you have to buy it because other records suck and if you don't buy our records then you suck too <laughs> that's just that's just not a way that anyone who wants to win wins you win by saying i will give you what you want you want to party? I will give you party. You want Medicare for all? I will give you Medicare for all. It's going to be hard. We can't get it right away, but I'm going to give it to you. People of Michigan, I'm with you in Flint. Rick Snyder, I don't need your endorsement. I don't need John Kasich's endorsement. Or a, I, I, want the, I want Democrats to vote for me because you hate Donald Trump. Instead, he's saying something very different. So I'm with you in that I want, I'm, I think it's really important too, but I am, I don't have the power and you don't have the power because we live in blue states to elect Joe Biden. People in Michigan do. And when I see the, that campaign treating the people of Michigan the way that it is, it makes me think that they're not really trying to win. And then that makes me really nervous. So I, yeah, I'm with you. I hear I, and agree. I hear, I hear and agree with all of that. You know, yeah, I, it makes it that much harder for us, for those of us who are trying to convince progressives that we have to vote for Joe Biden to do that. I'm gonna. I want to. I want to take us towards a positive place yeah. to here too, and I think I have something that we can that we can actually do. Let's. So, are you familiar with uh, a woman named Seven McDonald? No. I feel like you might have crossed paths with her. She used to book the Viper Room. She's the daughter of Country Joe McDonald. She's probably our age. And so you'd I've traveled in similar circles. Anyway, okay. she's a, 
what I, my point is she's she comes from our community the hollywood rock and roll community uh and she's also a a very active progressive person working on uh documentary films about pol- the pollution in the oceans and she's worked on both bernie campaigns or at least worked on the first on the 2016 bernie campaign i know she was active but maybe not in the Bernie campaign. My point is that she invited me recently to check out an app called Landslide 2020 that encourages, basically it uses all of the, uh, what is it, not endorphin, what's the, the dopamine hit factor of social media to incur to uh, allow people to encourage other people to vote and make sure that they're registered and make sure they know where to vote. So it's basically an app where I'm going to send you an invitation and you can send an invitation. Anyone who would like to be a part of this, uh, you can write to me through the go to the Radio 8 Ball page or just at the Radio 8 Ball show at gmail.com and I'll send you an invite as well. And basically what it does is it, it, it invite you can invite your friends and your friends can invite their friends. And in the app, it first the first thing you do is you check to make sure that you have you know what your voter registration is. And I entered in my address, and it said you're not registered. But I had entered in my PO box, and then I entered in my regular address, and it was like, oh, okay, you're registered. And that just that one little thing might have been enough in an environment where they're trying to disenfranchise votes. If I had written my PO box instead of my street address on my ballot when I send it in, that might have disqualified my vote. So already there, it saved my vote. But then it also tells me where to vote. And on as we move closer to election day, when there might be misinformation being spread around, this is a source where you can be sure, certain that, okay, this is where I'm going to go to vote and make sure that my vote is counted. And then everyone you invite, it puts them through that process. And then they can invite their friends. And I'm trying desperately to invite friends in Michigan and in Florida and Wisconsin and states that are going to be crucial to winning despite Joe Biden's weaknesses. And uh, and I'd love to invite you to be a part of my team. I'm going to send you an invite, Josh. Do it. And definitely. I got to say, I was so cynical when I got this invitation. And it was only because I have such, such respect. And this is why maybe why it's... Um, why it's a it's such a good idea because if this had come from a camp if it, this had come from Bernie Sanders I would have not done it even though I just like because I know I'm I know what he's having to do to make to win this election and I I I support him but I have a hard time standing beside him and listening to him uh, ch- change his tune for good reasons that I appreciate but seven is someone who I just, I have a lot of personal, she has a lot of, she's a lot of stored up personal integrity with me. And so when I got the invite, I was like, okay, I'm cynical about this, but I I do want to support what she's doing. It's probably grassroots enough that I can support it. And then I got in and I have to say within 30 seconds, I don't know what the magic of the app is, but within 30 seconds, my cynicism had been turned into inspiration. And I have to say that Nothing that the Democrats have done in this election cycle did flip that switch for me. So 
that's why, and I also, you know, like I spent the whole day doing something that I haven't done, which is trying to get people to vote for Joe Biden. Um, and that's so, awesome. so I'm in. if this app, so I want to encourage people to check this out. You can probably find it. It's sort of in beta, but it's also out there and we don't have time to mess around. It's not like a vaccine. We can use a, the one that works 70% and it'll be fine. And, uh, but, uh, I'm going to invite you, Josh. I, you, I, I, I know, you know, a lot of people, I hope you invite a lot of people. Uh, if you are listening to this and you want to be, uh, be on my crew and the, on landslide 2020, like I said, uh, you can find me, I'm really easy to find, whether it's through email or through the Facebook or through the Instagram, send me a message with your email or phone number. I'll invite you. And especially if you're listening to this in one of those states that is going to determine this election. Uh, I don't know how you convince people who are in Flint to vote for Joe Biden after this week, but we have to. And I hope that maybe we can also get together and try and get Joe Biden to just be better. So, um, yeah, so that's that I, 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 I think that's where we where the rubber meets the road and we can agree that uh, despite my curmudgeonly refusal to get on board, I am on board. And uh, and I and I hope that makes you feel better about this, because I I know I can be a it's like there's the line in that song walking on eggshells of someone else's mess. And that's what I feel like that was what I'm doing constantly when it. It has to do with talking about Democrats like they make a mess and then I have to walk on the I'm going to tell you the only people I have problems with are people who saying I'm not going to vote. Um, uh, that's that's the issue that I have or I'm not going to vote or I'm voting third party. Anything else. I mean, I think, frankly, I think we agree on all the same things. I'm just yeah. where where the my attention is, is is sort of super focused right now on election outcome and and really nothing else then i go okay that's where the the really the heavy lifting starts uh comes in that's where we have to get to work and and i'm i I believe i agree with you on all the work we have to do yeah yeah uh i gotta say this is not dissimilar from conversations that I had with our good friend, Paul. (laughs) Okay, interesting. I'd love to hear about this. (laughs) Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening, with our guest, Josh Gordon. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app. And if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story... I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store. And finally, I do hope you will join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my Pop Oracle reading, where I asked, Will the truth tellers be punished or rewarded when found out? The Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with that great version of the Paul Plagan song, Fun with Broken Glass, that Josh and I both got such a kick out of and was buried in our dialogue in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration 
you can handle. I hear music. Now it's gone. Okay. Do you want me to tell you the name of the song or just bust into it? Just bust into it. Okay, here we go. song sir paul fun with broken glass it's the radio wave ball show 